0: hoo hoo Hello, everyone. We are back with episode, what are we at? 70. We got a treat for you here. This is a really great guest. A uh, really good episode. This is kind of, this is a different type of episode. But, I mean, I mean, it's still in the same vein of what we're doing. It's just, you know, roughly this one has nothing to do with people with disabilities for the most part. A little bit. But, um, this is, you know, again, because this, this podcast isn't just about that. Uh, I am more than just my eyes, you know. No, I I, I just, uh, yeah, I, I really, really enjoyed this. And um, like I said, I, had, I really didn't have nothing on this guy. I didn't know much about him other than what I read in his bio. And uh, uh, I hope you guys appreciate it because I do some research. I try to find these people. And uh, yes, bullet. See, he made an appearance. It's been a minute. Um, but yeah just please appreciate this stuff, man. I, I try. I really do. Um, please like, and, and just, just share it with people and, and subscribe. Uh, if you want to You can comment, but please share it and, 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 um, subscribe, you know, so you can get the latest episodes. Uh, finding these people is, is all I care about right now. Just finding great people for you guys. And, and just to hope you guys learn stuff from this. Cause, cause I learned this isn't just about like what I'm doing for you guys. Like I want to learn too. Like I, I don't, I don't feel like I know everything. I barely know anything. Um, But I want you guys to welcome our next guest. Alright guys, so we are back with another one. Um, So our next guest, uh, like I said, this one I was just kind of searching all around. This one I found off of LinkedIn. This was the first guest I found off of there. Uh, I read his bio and I was like super fascinated. Uh, I knew it would be a little different, but I kind of like different because there's always those old sitcoms and shows that would have these like one-off episodes where they would talk about, I don't know, whatever it is, AIDS or, or cancer or some something very out there that's different from the, the normal show um, and it had a theme to it and so on and so on. Uh, and this guess is, you know, we're probably going to delve into some topics that we haven't gotten to yet. Um, so yeah, why don't you uh, tell us who you are and uh, just a little about yourself.
1: All right. Well, I am Dion Joseph. I am a law enforcement consultant and public speaker, but my primary day job is I'm a police officer uh, in the Los Angeles area, and I work primarily with the homeless in Skid Row. I've been doing that for 23 of my 25 years, and I've done it in various capacities as a patrol officer, undercover officer, training officer, and now I'm the lead officer in charge of the safety of people experiencing homelessness in the uh, Skid Row area. I love my job, I love what I do, and it's been an incredible blessing, and uh, the people down there are like my family, and they come from all walks of life, Uh, there are people who struggle with many issues, uh, some with issues of addiction, some with alcohol, uh, some with handicaps uh, and disabilities, uh, and then others, you know, who are just trying to get their lives back because they're disenfranchised, and no one else will help them, so I love my job, I love what I do, and I wouldn't change, I wouldn't trade it for the world.
0: That's awesome. Um... It, Skid Row. I mean that that is that's probably the most notorious as far as just by name and, and offhand what people know is one of the bigger circuits as far as people with disabilities. I believe New York has the biggest population as far as disabilities, but I mean, excuse me, mm-hmm. homelessness. Um, but uh, Skid Row is very notorious for uh, you know that just the giant tents and um, mm-hmm. just people Defined everywhere.
1: Everyone. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. As a matter of fact. Uh there was some news article and I just read it this morning. and I forgot where they listed Skid Row as one of the, the number one most dangerous place in America. Wow! Which, uh, which well, I, I got to find that article. I was just reading, it. it's so fascinating. But yes, Skid Row is, uh, is not a safe place to be homeless. Let's put it like that. Right. Or, or even just, dis- or even worse, if you're disabled. Absolutely.
0: Right. One, well, California is known for having certain like Englewood and or South Central and uh, for having uh, dangerous areas, but nothing to do with homelessness. Uh, more gang violence. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Skid Row. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: But there is there there is there is a correlation. Oh, is it uh, because uh, Skid Row is uh, is kind of like in the heart of L.A. in the downtown area, and it's fifty blocks, but it's adjacent to Inglewood, Watts, Compton, Long Beach, South L.A., Pasadena. Right. And because of that close uh, connection to those communities, we have a lot of people from those communities who are already disenfranchised or on the lower end of the economic uh, ladder who when they do fall to addiction or criminal, or the criminal lifestyle, they end up in places like Skid Row. So most of the people who inhabit Skid Row weren't born in Skid Row. They were born in those places, Long Beach, Carson, Watts, people So there's a correlation to uh, a close connection to those cities.
0: Right. Okay. Gotcha. Um, so, you know, obviously take us back a little bit. What, what made you kind of want to get into uh, being an officer?
1: Well, the funny thing is, I never wanted to be a police officer. I was, uh, like many young African-American males, I was kind of being guided to the thought that law enforcement officers were inherently evil based on the music I listened to, the friends I hung around, and what was being shown to me on the media uh, about the police was not very good. And then throw in a couple of times I was racially profiled, which didn't help much. Uh, That kind of guided me to think about that police officers were pretty much, for the most part, not there to help me. They were just here to help white people, rich people, and everybody else. Right. So uh, I ended up, uh, you know, I had a really great job. My family owned the first black-owned shopping center in the city of Long Beach. And it was a historical moment for our family. But then right after the riots, uh, the, the King riots, which also kind of shaped my views towards police in a negative way, uh, things went down. Things were on a decline. Nobody wanted to hire a black-owned construction company, real estate company. And, uh, and then it was like an economic downturn. So we had to start beginning to shut our doors. And I was out of work for three to four months. And I put my name in so many hats. Like I, the last thing I thought about was police officers. And then a friend of mine and a family member who was a cop said, look man, they're looking to hire African-American from the police force. Uh, why don't you put your name in a hat? And I was like, th- what? Those police forces? Oh, yeah, no, I'm not gonna do that. So I'm black, I can't do that. And plus I don't like the police. And, you know, no jobs were calling me. So I finally did it. I put my name in the hat for the police department and the only agency that ever that called me out of all the jobs I put in for was the police department I work for currently. And I was not happy, but I said, okay, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to do it for two or three years to save some money because I just met this beautiful woman I'm going to marry her and I want to take care of her. So I'm going to do this for two or three years, save my money and get out and do what I really want to do. Right. right. And, uh, I ended up falling in love with it and discovering that most of what was said about police officers was 90 percent false. Uh, You know, I work with officers who are white, black, Hispanic, gay, straight from the transgender community. And the vast majority of them were just decent people doing a tough job. And of course, there was a negative exception, but that was just that. And that's in any profession. So I discovered that. But the only difference between me and my brothers and sisters in the African-American community who still feel that way And I was the one who was brave enough to step across the line and see the other side. And it's not what people think. It really isn't. There are people out there who literally want, they have a vested interest in trying to make people believe that policing is a never ending scene from training day, the movie, you know, and that's not what I see. That's, that's not what I see day to day at all. Not at all. Right. But yeah, I love it. And then I ended up falling in love with helping people. I rescued my second day on the job. I think I rescued a woman from, uh, a domestic abuser And and that was it I was sold I, I, I was a cop for life And then I hit Skid Row And <laughs> my life changed forever
0: Right Um. No, that's awesome Yeah, I mean that That's kind of part of the problem I mean, if you see One of the things I said about 2020 Was that It, it should have been a year Where we actually Looked out for each other And, you know And so many things went up Like domestic violence and, and child abuse And all that And it's like This is the year Where we should just not Worry about a lot of the things That we've been worried about In the past And then, of course, Mm -hmm. racial tension went up way high and and crime went up in in different ways. And now crime is up again, but, you know, not because Mm -hmm. of COVID. Um, Yeah. But, you know, the racial... perfect storm. Right. And the racial tension is just, it's just there. But the problem is, is that a lot of it is due to the media. Like, yes, there is the George Floyd cases, but there's a lot of them that the media just puts its hand in and just constantly just pulls and pulls until somebody just loses their shit and... Um, and, and they don't, they don't, you know, they don't portray it in any way they want and just for whatever's going to trigger people.
1: It's it's what happens when the media becomes activists themselves, or it's one of two reasons. Either the the journalists become activists themselves and they have to stay locked in step with the movement and continue to paint that picture to further the movement. Or what we've known for years is a lot of times they want sponsors, ratings, and sometimes the most salacious story the most spun out of control story is going to get the most eyeballs and they don't care about the damage it, co- it costs to our society uh, because right now we live in what I like to call uh, a microwave society or even worse, a, a society full of headline thinkers right. where people today don't want to take the time to get the facts. It's not that people from all walks of life in this country aren't intelligent. It's just, we've become ex- intellectually lazy because everything's just given to us. It's at our fingertips and we don't have to go to a library and research it. And we just trust the first thing that comes because someone is a journalist or they have a Ph.D. or letters behind their name. Right. And, and, and because of that, journalists, activists, they know how to tap into the, the easiest part of a human being to manipulate them. And that's the desire to hate. And I'll never forget, uh, an elderly gentleman once told me, he says, Dan, who was the most evil man in the 20th century? I said, without a doubt, probably Adolf Hitler. He said, but do you know why he was so successful at what he did? And I was like, "Uh, what do you mean successful? Because at first I thought he was going to give the man a compliment. He said, no, son, I'm I'm not giving him a compliment. I'm being honest. He was extremely smart. Yes, I agree he was evil, but he was smart. Because Hitler understood human nature. He understood that you could bring people together faster with hatred vitriol and misinformation even worse disinformation than you can with love and understanding and if you want to see how difficult that is let's ask dr martin luther king oh you can't
2: right propaganda
1: Propaganda. so he understood that and then he got the brown shirts to spread the propaganda matter of fact it was uh, either hitler hitler or one of his lackeys who said if you tell a lie once no one's going to believe you you tell that lie one thousand times everyone's going to believe you and he also said this tell a lie keep it simple and repeat it over and over again until everyone believed it. And here's what's important about keeping it simple. Hitler knew how to speak to the layman, you know? And when I say layman, I hate that term because it, 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 it just basically disses people who don't have a college education, which I think there's a lot of super smart people who don't have a college education. Right, right, right. right. But, but he knew how to approach someone who is not educated and just keep it simple. And what did Black Lives Matter do? They kept it simple. Hands up, don't shoot. Right. Oh, okay, we can get behind that. You know, so and Hitler did the same thing when it came to the uh, to the Jews or the, the target, the target of his aims, and that's what's happening today with all these movements. They know how to target the layman with with the most simplistic catchphrases, but they also know how to mislead the the elite and the educated or the folks in intelligentsia by using ten thousand dollar words and coincidences that sound like real coincidences, but they're not. And, and and they just mislead everybody because they have degrees behind their name or some notoriety. So we're living in a very, very, the most gaslit time in American history. And it's dangerous oh, not just for cops, not just for the people we serve, but for everybody in this country across all lines. We have to get away from that.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, it's all clickbait, you know, or, you know, everything has got to be 30 seconds. That's what TikTok and Instagram and all that. And everything is so instantaneous and. Like I said, the clickbait, oh, yeah. the clickbait stuff is you just put a headline just because I, me- I remember the first time I saw the um, George Zimmerman case, um, mm-hmm. and one of the headlines was "White Hispanic shoots uh, unarmed black man or unarmed black teen," and I'm like, "When have right. I ever seen white Hispanic? I've never <laughs> seen that like ever." And yeah,
1: they, had to throw, they had to throw white in there, yeah. to get the eyeballs,
0: right? You know, <laughs> and that's and that's the sad. part. It's like that's the first time I noticed it. And then, of course, even it happens not even on a much smaller level with any anything just to read an article or watch a video nowadays. Um, but it, it's so frustrating because then, yeah, and then you got all these groups that come in. And, you know, like I was look, looking more toward, you know, people have been complaining about the woman that, uh, you know, basically created Black Lives Matter. And she's got, you know, a million, couple million dollar house living near Justin Timberlake. And Breonna Taylor's mom is still living in poverty. And she's supposedly fighting for her and Tamira Rice and all these people. And it's like, you know, it's like, where, how did we get here? Like, how are we, this, no, you
1: know, because, because the black life is exploitable. That's why. Yeah. Listen, you know, they always talk about, you know, when you hear the rhetoric from our detractors why are we killing so many black people? Well, if you look at it statistically over the last few years, we killed twice as many whites and people are like, Oh, that's not true. But then you show them the data and it's like, well, then they go into the whole proportionality argument, and I wish right. that is even Nolan. That is even Nolan Boyd. But the reality is, white lives aren't exploited. Well, I remember I was mentoring some uh, uh, teenagers, and they came up with the same questions: Why do we keep seeing you guys kill black people? You know, on, on TV or on YouTube. I said, because you're not looking for the white ones. So I, I on right, YouTube, right. I did it right in front of them. I said, okay, I'm going to put it in search: unarmed whites killed by police, and I think I found about 20 incidents of uh, unarmed whites or white people who were killed by police in questionable shootings that these kids never even heard of. Right. And I said, look, and look, at, look at the views on these videos. Uh, there's only 3,000 on this, 60,000 on this, no outrage. And if it was in the news, it was only in the news for two days. Why is that? Mm-hmm. Because white lives don't push agendas. Mm-hmm. They don't get what race baiters want.
2: Right. And,
1: and it's the same thing. As a matter of fact, we just had a uh, news uh, technical director get caught on an undercover video you know, basically acknowledging that, yeah, because we support the BLM movement, of course, we're going to highlight these lives over other lives to, to push the movement. And like I said, I told people journalism died years ago with Walter Cronkite. Walter
2: Cronkite, yeah. <laughs> absolutely.
1: It, 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 it's dead. It's dead. Now it's journalisming, as uh, one uh, gentleman uh, coined, uh, coined a phrase. But that's where we are today, where we, we take uh, Black life in the only way a la- Black life is valuable based on the profession of the person that kills them or the color of the person that kills them. Yeah. And, and yeah. that, that's wrong. When we have on that right now, we have six 7,500 black people murdered across this country through just street violence. Yeah. We had a seven year old girl get shot at a McDonald's while she was with her dad. We had a dad walking his daughter across the street. So in another part of the country, and someone just walked up and killed him right in front of her his daughter, yeah. right in front of his daughter. And nobody reports that. Nobody cares. So to nope. me, I don't believe that a lot of these groups really believe that black lives matter. Black lives are a mean to an end.
0: Right. And, and that's what I believe. Yeah, it's a distraction. And it's I mean, same with the political stuff. Yeah, I mean, before we get back to you, yeah, like, you know, I was talking about that because I, I forget the, the, the man's name. He was a 17-year-old boy, kid who just got out of college, a uh, young black kid, and he was just so happy. And his family was like, my my boy's going to college uh he just graduated high school with a really good uh with good grades and um the day after he graduated he gets gunned down um and you know by by other black teens and no one talked about it no one cared and it's like Mm -hmm. you know and i saw somebody that was like in in the the black uh, lives matter movement they were like well it's not that we're we're not saying that, you know, black lives don't matter when black people shoot us. But we're not talking about that. We're only talking about police brutality. And it's like, but that, that's ridiculous. Like, well, yes. Well, here's what, here's what they say.
1: Here's what they say, brother. They say, well, they're, they're not related. Uh, what, 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 I, you know, and, and when you try to talk about black-on-black killing where we're bleeding the most, you're just trying to distract from the real issue. And this is what I tell people, especially when I talk to young kids. I said... We've tried everything. We've tried screaming, marching, memeing, turning police into devils. I said the only thing we haven't tried in about forty years is holding the wolves within our own the negative exception of African Americans. And it is a negative exception. I'm not here trying to say that most African Americans are criminals. That's that's a bunch of crap. Right. right. Most of them are decent, decent, hardworking people. Right. But there is a negative exception that's doing so much damage that if we ever stand up and confront them and make our own genocide as unsexy <clears throat> as a police killing mm-hmm. there won't be the need for the police and that is the only thing we haven't tried yet that's the only thing we haven't tried we tried everything else and we and the police shooting still happen. so you might be getting it wrong as to why uh, as to what the, what the next step should be and that should be focusing on these criminals being honest with ourselves and saying the reason why police are in these communities Is because people are dying, not because they're black. Perfect example is the uh, shooting in uh, Ohio with the Columbus officer who shot uh, Micaiah. Oh, right. Uh, right. That that whole incident encapsulates everything I've been saying with the black community and black-on-black violence and police shootings. This is a police officer who had no idea he was going to run into a 16-year-old girl with a knife. Today, that this day. is the one where she who, was
0: being bullied, right? And, and then she called the cops. And then she, as they got there, she charged right. them with the knife and they shot her.
1: Right. But the, the officer didn't know who was
0: who. Right, All he, right, right. Was
1: he gets there and he, he runs to a black community that's engaged in violence.
2: Right. And he
1: steps into chaos. Like It was so chaotic that he saw a man walk up right next to him and kick a woman in the head. And he's sitting right there. Right. And then at his 12 o'clock, he sees another young lady, probably doesn't even know how old she is, pull out a knife and rear it back, and he's about to plunge it into another woman. Right. And he's too far away to stop her, so he has to do what? She's using a deadly weapon. He has to use deadly force to stop it. So once again, white, not, not even white cop. Let's forget about his color. A cop responds to the black community because of violence, and unfortunately a black person dies as yeah. a result
2: right. of trying
1: to save a black life. Right. That, that whole situation was symbolic of everything I've been saying for you. So if we can ever in our communities stand up against the criminal element, be honest, hold them accountable, and, and make black genocide uh, uh, unsexy and, and, and make preservation of life popular in our communities, guess what? If we attacked that situation with as much vigor as we did, do, do against police brutality and other issues, there would not be the need for police in these communities. Right. Yes, it's related. Absolutely. It's absolutely related.
0: Yeah, like when I started this podcast, and obviously I started talking about people with disabilities and just, you know, interviewing all these different amazing people. And someone said to me, is like, well, you're talking about issues that aren't sexy. And I'm like, well, why aren't they? Like, there's a reason why they should be talked about. Just because most people aren't talking about it doesn't mean they're not. I mean, I get what they're saying, and in a way they were right, because it doesn't sell mm-hmm. or whatever. But it's like, that doesn't mean we shouldn't talk about It, it doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. And it
1: goes go against the prescribed narrative for today.
0: Right. And yeah. that, that's and that, we that, need more of that. That can make you unpopular.
1: Right. Yeah, absolutely we need more of that more than ever.
0: More than you ever, know, absolutely. We don't need
1: it. We we don't need the silo and the monolith right now. Especially when what's being preached in the silo is a one sided and false narrative. So we definitely need the counter, and the counter needs to come from a place of truth, objectivity. And uh, until we get that back, we're gonna be in a dangerous place in this country in the next four or five years.
0: Yeah, I know. Um unfortunately um uh, so you know knowing all this and again i know a lot of this stuff is obviously after you became an officer but stuff is still there it's just it's just gotten worse it has been amplified but knowing that being a black guy and going into a profession that obviously um you know is probably frowned upon by both sides in some way because i think a lot of people think like oh what's great we see a black guy in the community he's an officer he can get into these neighborhoods and they'll accept him more. But that's not always the case because a lot of times they look at someone like you as like a traitor. You know, you're not, oh, absolutely. you're not just, you absolutely. know, you're not their friend anymore. Now you're wearing, you're on the totally other side. You have that badge. Um, Cause I've heard from some of my friends that, you know, of uh, Hispanic or black, uh, you know, that they are, you know, sometimes they look at the black officers like they're the worst officers because some of them go into these neighborhoods and, 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 and you know, good or bad, whatever you want to say they go in there and they look at people that look like their children. They say, you know, you look like my son and how dare you act this way. Um, And sometimes they can be more aggressive because they are so saddened by what they see in these neighborhoods. Um, Well, I guess I should ask you the question. But like, you know, so what what really, you know, when you finally got into it, um, what what was the perception of, you know, how you were treated and that people were treating you as far as the people of your color? And then obviously, you know, white as well.
1: I lost three friends the day I got accepted into the police academy. Wow. Uh, three three of my friends were in my restaurant as we were getting ready to close down, and uh, the letter came, like, right in the nick of time because I was out of work. And uh, when I read that I was accepted, three of my associates got up, walked out of the restaurant. Two of them uh, walked out and said, you ain't the N-word no more. You ain't my N-word anymore. Right. And I, I hated the word anyway because I, ne- I never saw myself as one. I saw myself as a proud black man. And then one of them came back and said, you know what, you know, it's messed up. I don't know why you're doing this, but I know you're a good guy. Yeah, maybe you're going to be different. And that, that, that really hurt my feelings. And then to go into the black community as a full-fledged officer, like the first community that I police was a black community called Oakwood. And it was it was tough at first. At first, I did struggle with my quote-unquote blackness, okay? and And it got to the point to where I just stopped caring anymore. I just stopped caring because I realized that I was these people. I didn't let it affect me because I understood the mentality of these people. So my goal was to try to flip it. Right. I knew what they were going to say because I said it. I have said it to officers when I was, <laughs> before I became a cop. So I felt that I knew how to navigate through that and had the patience. And a lot of people don't. A lot of people don't have the patience. But I learned from my mother and father to have patience with people, even with some of the most difficult people, watching them deal with foster children who were sexually abused. They helped raise about 41 foster children in their 47 year marriage. And I was around for about 17 of them. These kids came in, they didn't trust people, especially not adults, who was abusing them, adults. And I watched how patient they were with them. And I just added that patience to my, to my tool belt when dealing with the community. And the one thing I did, I just didn't give up. I just kept coming. I took the abuse and kept coming until after a while, they were like, this dude must really care. You know, if he's still coming around here after what we gave him last week, if he's still coming around. And that's what I found that happened to me in Skid Row. You know, I went from being called, when I got, first got there, Uncle Tom, House Negro, Sambo. Then I got names like Robocop because I, I was big, muscular, had all these uh, tools and gadgets to me. And I right. and I, you couldn't run, from, you couldn't get away from me, right? right? So then I got that name because I was a super, super crime fighter. And then I, I started to show who I was, not just what I did. The name started to change again to funny names like Officer Male Stripper, Officer right. you know. And then when I started to really get the uh, the, the uh, respect of the community and become like family to them, uh, and I really had to do a lot of work to get that done, I started getting names like Angel, Uncle, God, Daddy. And my favorite is when they call me Dion. Yeah. That's when I know that I'm, I'm like family. So in the situations like that, And I know a lot of African-American cops, if you listen to me, it's going to be a challenge at first. But your job is not to quit. You came in there to be the change that you want to see. You're actually the bravest of them all because you have to go out there as a black person and take a lot of abuse on top of trying to keep people safe and putting your life on the line. So don't give up. You know, don't get discouraged. Just keep fighting. See, here's the key word. Familiarity breeds trust. And what's the base word of familiar? Familiar Family. You know, you're familiar with your family, so you got to trust them no matter what. Yeah. If you stay visible, you stay out there, you stay connected, you don't run, you stick your chest out and stand tall, at some point, they're going to respect you. Right, And that's just how I did it. That's just how I did it.
0: Yeah. Do you, like, when you see some of the stories that come out, and, and the, the valid cops, the ones that really do stupid shit out here and, and really mess up, do you do what, what like what, what is your thought on it like do you just roll your eyes and just know like oh you know where how they're going to take this like this is another you know d- you know nail in the coffin for cops like oh god here we go again there's another cop that screwed up and now well, we're all crap my,
1: my first thought is not that you know my first thought is anger you know because like I said and I know it sounds cliche but it's true no one hates a rogue cop more than the vast majority of decent cops because when they're fired when they get reprimanded, when they get sued, or when they get, you know, whatever, go to jail, or whatever, or lose their job, we're left to deal with the fallout of their actions. Because people don't go, oh, that was just Officer Johnson. No, they say that was police officers. Yeah. So and so it disgusts me when they rear their ugly head. But I also don't look at all, you see, there's been controversial shootings, right. you know. Right. But every controversial shooting wasn't a bad cop, no. you know. And, and that's what I try to tell people. Every shooting must stand on its own. You can't say because one cop is white that he's guilty of killing somebody because, just because he was involved in the shooting with somebody black. You have to look at the total, totality of the circumstances and the context. There are shootings that like I totally disagree with. I was very vocal in my disagreement. The Walter Scott shooting, that was a clear case of murder. And that was one of those cases where I could say in my heart, and even though I'm still speculating that there was some kind of racial motivation there, because the way he shot Walter Scott was as if his life just meant nothing. Like he just didn't want Walter Scott on the planet anymore.
2: Right. Right.
1: Uh, then there was the Macquan La- McDonald shooting. Uh, there was no justification for that. Uh, you know, I don't know if there was racism involved with that guy. I don't know the officer's heart, but Laquan McDonald was not an imminent threat. He was a threat, but not an immediate threat to anyone. And that officer jumped the gun and killed him with 16 shots and unjustifiably, and that disturbed me. And when I saw that, I had hatred towards that officer, not police officers, and no, I didn't want to throw my bags down and quit because of what he did. Uh, what was the other? Eric Gardner. Somebody, right. because Eric Gardner was a large man, decided to use a chokehold, when he was being passively uh, aggressive. He wasn't being aggressive. He's being what we call passive resistance. It mm-hmm. just means he didn't want to go. He's feeling his arm, but he's not fighting police officers. There's no justification. And then the Oscar Grant, that one pissed me off to the highest of festivity when I saw that. You know, uh, you, I don't know if you don't know who Oscar Grant is. There's a movie based on his life called Fruitvale Station. Well, this officer had no business having his gun out on a call like that. You know, it was like a low priority situation. It was probably just for a train violation or something like that. And he pulled his gun out just to intimidate everybody and shot Oscar Grant in the back. See, these things I don't condone or justify. But there are other situations that I tell people, look, before you judge the officer, look at the totality of their circumstances. I understand why Philando Castillo was shot. Right. I 100 percent understand that based on the facts. And the fact is he told the officer he had a gun. It, uh, traffic stops are some of the most dangerous stops that police officers could be on. And the officer told him not to move and he still moved anyway. I don't care if the gun was legal. We've had officers killed with legal weapons.
0: What about Jacob Blake?
1: Uh, Jacob Blake, same thing. Yeah. Jacob Blake, what, what they told us with Jacob Blake was that uh, two cops showed up and killed a black man or shot at a black man because he wanted to go to a party. That's what they told us. Yeah. You know, That's what the media told us. But the truth was they tried to stop him and they were trying to arrest him because he committed, allegedly, a sexual assault against, I guess, his ex-girlfriend. His ex-girlfriend. And then yeah. took her, to, yeah, took her ATM card or something like that and started spending her money. And he wasn't even supposed to be there. So the officers were actually heroes in that circumstance by trying to stop him. Right. And then he had a knife in his hand. And the officers, if you notice, you could see the knife in his hand as he walked to the car. And the officers maintaining their distance. What yeah. does that state? That state that the officers are still giving him every opportunity to give up and comply after he just got through fighting with them. So, then he goes to the car and opens the door and reaches under the seat. Any, if, if you, if anybody, if it wasn't a cop, you would say, oh, my God, he's going for a gun. Yeah. And he still had the knife in his hand. So, But the officer also recognized that there were two kids in the car. And if he let him go and get into to the car with those kids, those kids would have been in danger. So, yeah, I agree with what the officers did. They had to stop him from running off with those kids. And, and, and so the media lied to us about that one. And our yeah. social media, social justice warriors and actors and activists and NBA, everybody else was involved oh, on this yeah. big lie. And it was crazy. What was the other situation? Uh, Mike Brown,
2: Mike Brown, Yeah.
1: Uh, Mike Brown was not killed for being black and jaywalking. That's the, like I said, that's what they tell the layman. He was, he was killed for being black and jaywalking. CNN, MSNBC, all these news stations, just put it out there just like that and didn't give us any real details. Well, the truth is, He was warned twice for walking, and then the second time he was warned, he assaulted the officer in his car, punched the officer, and then when the officer tried to stop him, he grabbed the officer's gun. Why do we know that? Because the microfibers of the gun was found on Mike Brown's hand. Yeah. First, a warning shot was fired. Second shot actually hit Mike Brown, but not fatally. Mike Brown runs. The officer did his job. He's supposed to go out and try to apprehend the suspect. Sure, I wish he would have had backup with him, but that's not what he had at the time. Mm -hmm. mike brown stops turns and yeah he had his hands up but not in surrender based on what the 40 witnesses said but what it sounded like if he was charging back at the officer and based on that the officer based on him grabbing his gun before had every reason to believe that mike brown forget the color of his skin a six foot four three hundred man who was charging at him was going to try to take his weapon again and based on that the totality of their circumstances I understand why Mike Brown was shot I'm not saying I like it
0: right. <laughs> yeah, you don't want him dead like but yeah you don't, you yeah.
1: don't want anybody dead but, but it was unfortunate that no one cared about the facts uh, in those cases and from that was the birth of a movement that is now unfortunately uh, putting people of color in danger based on misinformation and disinformation and it's really sad it's really sad what's happening
0: right um, no, I mean, yeah, you're dead on. Like it's, it's, it's super frustrating because there's, there's, there's the one case, um, where the one woman, she was a white officer a woman that she, she went into the wrong apartment and she mm-hmm. shot the guy. And again, let's mm-hmm. just say like, cause I think the other thing that people misconstrued is a white person can shoot a black person just cause they hate them, but it doesn't have anything to do with the color of their skin. They might just be a terrible person. They may just not like them. Like not everything mm-hmm. is based in race. Um, yeah it's not racially motivated everything is not racially motivated right but they want to make it that way and then of course the historical because of she's a cop and then there's a black guy and again I I wasn't sticking up for it. I look I don't it's hard to know what her intentions were it's hard to know if she really was going into the wrong you know she, she thought she was in the right apartment and she went into someone else's I mean because you look you're an officer you've had some very long days I'm sure you're tired you've made some weird decisions of course you didn't do that but it's like you can see how that could happen. Of course, maybe she wasn't, yep. sh- you know, go ahead, I'm sorry.
1: That actually, let me tell you, that happened to me twice. Oh, really? I worked a, a 20-hour day one time, and I, I, back then, in my early years, I lived in an apartment in the valley, and the apartment complex just looked the same all the way around. Uh-huh, and gotcha. there was an apartment just directly beneath mine that, you know, literally was shaped just like mine. So I get off the elevator, I get off the wrong floor. And I'm putting my key in the door and I can't get in. And I'm like, what the hell? Did my girlfriend just change my life? Right. right? And I'm pushing, I'm pushing, I'm pushing. And I look in the window and there's this old lady looking at me like uh, wrong house. And I'm like, oh, my God, you know, so that I could see that happening. I even walked out of the store a month ago and uh, there was a black uh, a car that looked just like mine. And I'm sitting here trying to open the damn car with my keys. <laughs> <laughs> and and I can't get in it, and the guy's like, "Sorry, buddy, that's that's my car." I'm like, "Oh crap!" So it, it's being a cop doesn't make you superhuman or infallible. No, okay, it, make it, it, But that but that's what people want to do. They want to make it seem like they want to put us on such a pedestal to where uh, they want people to believe that we're robots who can make no mistakes, so that when we do make a mistake, they can hyper-focus on that and push certain again and use that to push certain agendas. Of course, right. what happened to that young man was wrong. He didn't deserve to die. We all agree with that. Uh, you know, I, I agree with the sentencing. You know, it was a mistake, but I think there was time for her to assess and go, "Wait a minute, this is this is, this is something's not right here." Instead, or she could have backed out and requested backup in that situation. But I, I do believe she made an honest mistake in going to the apartment. But right. so we, we we make them all the time. We are human beings. We're made of flesh and blood. We're not perfect.
0: Absolutely, we're not. Um so I mean you said before that you were racially profiled um obviously that does happen to a lot of black people it's it's not something that people just, it doesn't just get made up um and then that you know there's there's the cases where of course someone does that you know an officer does it and it's wrong and then there's the times where a cop sees somebody with their taillight out or whatever they pull them over and even if they're racially profiled there there's the the etiquette the, the etiquette of sometimes there's people you know you see some of these kids and these you know uh cars and they're smoking weed and and they're just completely being belligerent to the officer um i I don't know do you do you like what what do you feel is you know obviously you're at a disadvantage you're being you're you're young you're black or you don't have to be young but, but you're being black and an officer pulls you over i mean do you feel like there's any you know not knowing what the cop is about obviously everybody has their preconceived notions of what an officer does and doesn't do and so on but do you feel, like well, I don't know, what, what do you think is a good idea for at least a young black kid to just, how to approach an officer while he's knocking on your window?
1: Here's what you do. You do what you're supposed to do. And that what you're supposed to do is when an officer pulls you over, whether you think it's right or wrong, whether you're right or it's right or wrong, you got to cooperate. Cooperate. Look, in most cases when cops pull you over, just like when they pull me over a couple of times, I ran a stop, well, stop sign. Here's what my dad told me. He told me 10 and 2. Turn your car off. If it's nighttime, turn your car off and turn your dome light on because you're sending a message to the officer that you're not a threat to him. You're not trying to hurt him. Okay? Have your ID, put it on the dash. And when the officer gets there, you don't have to agree with the charge, but don't become argumentative or belligerent. My dad told me this. Mm -hmm. And this was before all this stuff. See, that was the talk back then. And all you could say was, yes, sir. You know, and you went in, you went out there and it happened. And most cases, when I did that, I didn't even get a ticket, you know? So now what's happening is the talk has changed because the media, social media. So now what they're saying is, uh, oh, okay, okay, when you get stopped by the police, uh, put your hand on the wheel or they're going to kill you. Okay, if it's dark, turn your dome light on or they're going to kill you. Uh, uh, take your keys out of your vehicle or they're going to kill you. Uh, if, if they tell you to get your ID, don't reach for your ID or they're going to kill you. So what does that say to a young African-American male or female today who's hearing this version of the talk, that no matter what you do, they are gonna die. You're gonna die. And it creates fight or flight primers naturally in the minds of a lot of individuals where now, where four or five years ago, a seven minute traffic stop now takes 15, 20 minutes as you're trying to calm a person down, keep them from getting out the car or whatever. Now you have to get a supervisor to explain to them why they're getting a the ticket and why they're calling you everything but a child of God. Because mm-hmm. now what you have are fight or flight primers. So. In most cases, 99.99% of the cases, if you're respectful, whether you're getting a ticket or just getting a warning, if you just follow those rules, you're going to be fine based on the data. What I tell people is follow the data, not the sensationalized headlines. I was talking to a lady the other day who said, what do I do? I told my sons if he gets pulled over by a cop not to pull over to keep driving. What? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. She said, because I'm afraid if they pull him over for – or a red light or a taillight, they're gonna kill him. I said, you just told your son to evade a cop who's got their lights and sirens on.
0: Yeah. yeah,
1: I said, that's crazy. What do you think I'm thinking as a police officer when that happens?
0: Yeah, you got something it has in nothing the car, to do with race. Something's it, worse. In yeah. Most,
1: it, yeah, exactly, because in most cases, I probably don't even know what you look like. All I know is I got my lights and sirens on and you're not pulling over and you're still going. So what that tells me, you're trying to evade, you're trying to hide, you may have a weapon, you kidnapped somebody. So now, now it's escalating because bad advice from your mom or some social media attorney. So really what I try to tell people is, you know, be, be, I know because they're focusing on the, hyper-focusing on the negative perception that you have a perception that every time you get pulled over. But, my God, step outside your front door. You see people getting pulled over all the time and they don't get shot. Look at the data. The yeah. data says that you have a better chance of being struck by lightning. Been killed by a police officer on a traffic stop.
2: Right. Yes,
1: I believe in de escalation wholeheartedly. And matter of fact, before it was called de escalation, we've been, to, we call it verbalization. We've been doing that. But what also is needed is cooperation. If we have both of those, those chances of you getting killed by a, a police officer decrease even further than the data that says you won't. Your chances are, are, are lessened anyway. Right. So we just have to stop fear mongering. And, and just getting yeah. back to just telling people the basics. And now and then they go, well, what if well what about that situation where the cop hit the kid anyway? Those are called anomalies. Those right. are times where you just ran into that one bad apple who was so ultra bad, you know, and like I said, we don't know why. Maybe he's going through a divorce, maybe he's just a jerk, maybe he, you know, is going through something or whatever. Or maybe you're the fifth car to stop him and call them a a mass, or call him an asshole and he's just tired of it and you took it out and you I don't know. But those are called anomalies. Right. But for the most part if you just do exactly what I'm saying to you, be cooperative. Hey, you can disagree with the ticket, but there's nothing wrong with that. Right. But don't be belligerent. Don't fight. Look, you have to sign the ticket. There are some people who believe they don't have to sign the ticket if, if an officer pulls them over. Yes, you do. Because if you don't, what we're going to do is we're going to call a supervisor, and the supervisor is going to try to get you to sign the ticket. And if you don't, guess what? You took a seven-minute traffic stop, and now I have to take you to jail because you won't sign the ticket so the judge can verify your signature and who you are. Right. See, people, people also don't know this. Once again, stop listening to, inter- listening to internet attorneys. There are people who literally believe that if an officer asks you to step out of a car, you don't have to. That is not true. There is a law, a Supreme Court ruling, called Pennsylvania versus Mims, you can research it, that specifically states that if an officer pulls you over for any reason, I don't care if it's a taillight or if you know, your car is on fire, if he pulls you over for a legal reason, he has the right to have you step out of the car for any reason. Right. But what's happening is you have internet attorneys telling them, oh no, you don't have to get out of the car. And what happens is officers now have to force you out of the car, which is a result of the use of force and on the rare occasion, a shooting that never, ever had to happen. That's whether you're black or white. Because I've dealt with you know you know uh, combative people from all races, not just black people. Right. But I've never seen it like this. I've never seen it like this before because of the gaslighting and, and, and that's going on in the media and social media, and uh, being used by social justice warriors. It's really right.
0: sad. Right. Absolutely. Um, you know, be, being a person of color and an officer. How do you? How like, do you? I don't know. What do you rank? How do you feel that uh, the importance of being a you know inspiration and just a you know a hero? What you should be perceived. I mean, obviously, you know, like, especially in like in the black, black and Latin community, a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they call, you know, the ghettos or whatever they call it, the trap, because it's hard to get out of. And a lot of times the only way out is what what they say is to play ball or rap. Um, but how how do you, I mean, how important do you feel like an officer as far as just being an, being inspirational and just going, I mean, yes, you don't make, you know, $6 million on an album or, 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 you know, you know, dribbling a ball, but what you do is so much more important. Um, oh, yeah. so, I mean, yeah, yeah I've mean,
1: saved, yeah. saved, i i more lives than any, any, any detractor who criticizes me on a daily basis, on a daily basis. I've saved more black lives than them. But what I say is this, look, I don't look for accolades and awards. I, I really don't. I really don't care. You know, cop, no good cop cares about that. Um, you know, my definition of a hero is somebody who goes out there and not only protects people who love and revere them but also the one brave enough to protect and give the same level of love and service to people who fear and hate them. And that's what I do on a daily. I don't care if you love me. I don't care if you hate me. I'm going to give you my absolute best. And if you see that enough, you're going to stop hating me sooner or later. <laughs> and that's kind of how I operate. So I don't see myself as a, as, as a hero. Uh, I really don't. Uh, that's just not something I run around thinking about all day long. And, but thankfully, to a lot of people where I work in Skid Row, because I was able to show them who I am, not just what I do over the last 23 years, a lot of them see me as a, a, a hero to them, and I, and that's amazing to me. And it can happen, you know, it's not going to happen on, on a macro level, especially today when we have so much writing against us with social media and anti anti police media and all kinds. So much writing, it's never going to happen like it was years ago. Uh, but on a micro level, uh, in your community, in your small sector. If you just, I just find it that when you're the best version of your authentic self, you're going to have that small community having your back. And Skid Row has had my back for all these years. That's how I see it.
0: Right. No, that's, I mean, like, you know, because the people that are the most important as far as just out in the communities are, you know, the nurses, the teachers, the doctors, the the officers, the firefighters. Those are the people that really matter. And again, there's nothing wrong with, you know, looking up to a musician or whatever, because some of these people do have real struggles and they did make something of themselves. And it's fantastic. Um, but it's, but it's unrealistic and Mm -hmm. it's less likely. And even if you, you get a record deal, that doesn't mean you're going to last it, you know, just because you, you you know, you made a a winning three pointer in high school. doesn't mean you're making it to the NBA. Um, and so people, and you probably more so you and probably, you know, teachers are probably so important because you're, you're constantly dealing with them on a daily basis. You see them all the time uh you're interacting with them and you know but with you especially you know like if you're, you're arresting their cousin they probably look at you like oh but you know it, it's it's that's the stuff that we need more so of because you know you're in some ways you're considered the anomaly and it, it shouldn't be that way like you know you you just well well
1: yeah. if and if that's the thing I tell people and I even have friends in the media who uh, on the down low will tell me So Dion, we we know how frustrated you guys are with us you know we try to tell The truth. We try to tell more balanced stories, and that's what's needed right now. If they showed more, uh, or gave the statistics on traffic stops where we don't get into shootings, or if they showed more—I don't want to say necessarily the good, because I don't like seeing, oh, these cops are face painting with kids today. That's not police work. Mm -hmm. You know, that's not good police work. I don't want to see, oh, cops are giving out a toy drive. You know, that's not good police work. That's just just going above and beyond and just being a decent person. To me, a good cop is that officer who goes out there and stops drug dealers from selling drugs in front of drug programs. A good cop is the guy to go and stop some dad from molesting his child. A good cop is the guy who a cop rolls into somebody's house and pulls a husband off of his wife that he's about to stab, you know, or even writes that person a ticket who's driving 40 miles per hour in a school zone and running a stop line stop sign full of children. And what they need to show and say, this is what the media needs to do. that in the vast majority of these circumstances, Cops don't kill people. As a matter of fact, let's put put it into perspective. There are, uh, America is a country full of 330 million individuals, right? Right. Uh, And uh, roughly, and there's about roughly 800,000 police officers who police them. There aren't 800,000 people being killed a day by cops, not even close. As a matter of fact, police officers in one year, I don't remember what year it was, but it was recent, uh, made 375 million contacts with the American public. And, 999 people out of all those contacts were shot by the police were killed by the police. Now, if you put that in the calculator or do the math, that means you have a 0.000016 chance of being shot and killed by a cop, no matter who, no matter what color you are. Right. And if you go by that, that puts it in perspective, but they go, but still 1, is a thousand is people, is a lot of people given. Of course, if you say it like that, if you keep saying 1,000, 1,000, 1,000, right. you know, you can't just keep throwing numbers out there. There are stories behind them. We police in the United States of America, a country that was founded by the gun, a country where people have Second Amendment rights, they have guns, and we have people who abuse those rights and get guns illegally. This is not Britain. This is not the Netherlands. These are None of these places. This is America. And as long as we, see, we have vice lords and gangster disciples,
2: mm-hmm.
1: as long as we have Crips and Blood and Rowan 60s and 18th Street and M- MS-13 and all these people running around, doing horrible things, mentally ill people who are not getting the help they need and instead being left to their own vices, stabbing people. Now that's not even their fault, but that's a systemic failure that we have to tackle. As long as those things exist, the American police officer will be armed. And that's just the way it is. But really, if you put it in perspective, 1,000 people in one year is really not bad. When you have 330 million people in America being policed by 800,000 people. So you really have to put that in the proper context. But what our detractors love to do is they just love to take that number a thousand and to go to the layman or to the college student and say a thousand and look at that this is a thousand human beings that police officers quote unquote murdered but they don't tell them the story behind the numbers because the vast majority of those shootings were not murdered at all right. they were immediate defense of life of officers or someone else and right. officers had no choice in most of those cases
0: right and you hear suicide by a cop like it's it 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 sounds good it sounds like something you can you know put on a little on an article and, you know, a headline, but the reality is like suicide by a cop can mean anything. I mean, you literally a guy could be charging you with a machete and you, you you know, yep. shot him, um, It you know, somebody could be raping or murdering someone while you're trying to stop them and it doesn't matter. It's still counted as that. Um, absolutely, wh- absolutely. What, what is your take on the whole defund the police, you know?
1: It's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life and it's causing a lot of damage right now. I call it knee jerk policy making. Politicians across the country freaked out because the mob, really a small group of people that looked large and were shouting the loudest, shouted them down so much that they capitulated and they bowed down and said, okay, we'll defund the police. And many big cities did just that. And upon doing that, you took away a lot of specialized uh, units that dealt with a lot of the violent crime in, the, in, in different communities. And in getting rid of those communities, uh, those, those units and those officers, guess what you did? You have created crime. Let me give you an example. Uh, this was before defund the police. Uh, the L.A. Times writer wrote a very biased article about our Metro officers being in South L.A., where at the time, shootings of black gang members were on the rise. So the reason why those officers were placed in that community was because people were being shot and dying. So the LA Times wrote a racist article and used the magic of critical race theory and said, because police were making mostly arrests of people of color, well, that's common sense because the demographic there were people of color. There's not a lot of white folks that live in that part of the city where people were dying. So they said that it was racist. So once again, that was another example of where people, that department buckled down. They took their officers out. And two weeks after they took those officers out, Twenty-six people were shot, including Nipsey Hussle. The, the, the police department didn't kill Nipsey Hussle. No. Critical race theory. Critical race theory did. Right. And that's what I tell people all the time. When you have these politicians who make knee-jerk decisions and make these stupid policies based on the negative action, actions of a few officers across the country. Just a few. In comparison to the 800,000 who are doing a decent job. You're putting people in danger this defund movement is one of the dumbest and here's the thing you have some departments who are actually going you know what we need to take a step back and go and and they're starting to fund their police departments again which is great but look at all the lives that were lost in between look at the property that was damaged look at the crime that now even though you're funding the cops they still can't get into control because now there's an air of you know you know the laws don't impact me with the criminal element but what's even worse for some they're going, well, maybe it's not working because we didn't defund enough, and they're cutting more funding from the police department to, to satisfy this crazy theory that if you, if you just take away the money from the police department to punish them just for being cops and give it to community services, oh, well, that's going to make everything better, but here's what's going to happen. Okay, you give that money to community services, but those services don't work because crime is high. So now you have the drug dealers recruiting from those community services now because the police can't stop them. You see what I'm saying? It's Mm -hmm. a never-ending circle of stupidity. And I was hoping that during these riots and during these protests, that one civic leader across the country would have said, you know what? I understand you're upset about the George Floyd killing. You have your right to be. And even I agree it was a murder. Uh, But we're not going to defund our police department because that wasn't our cops and it would put people in danger. You can march. You can protest civilly. I respect that. But I will not allow you to destroy our city. Right. And, and I, I, but not not one in these cities that are that are impacted by the defund movement did that, and as a result, result they're re, they're reaping what they sow as we speak, and it is ugly. It's not pretty. People are dying. Yeah, people are
0: dying. No, and again, number people only want to look at certain numbers, and you know, like I'm I, I'm from you know originally I'm from Philadelphia, which is AKA called Killadelphia. There are already over a hundred murders this year. Nothing to do with the cops. A lot of it's just mainly gang nope. violence. Um, and it, it's, it's sad and I, and there's some great parts of Philly. I love Philly. Um, it's very yeah. cultural and you know, it, it, I love it, but there's a huge problem down there. You know, there's a lot of dog fighting and drugs and just murders and it just happens all the time and it's like nothing. And we just kind of talk about defunding the police, but a lot of these officers, especially in some of these smaller areas and, and just, uh, you know, these you know, these impoverished cities, some of them like, you know, Baltimore and Cleveland, something like they. They don't have a lot of funds to begin with, um, and they Absolutely. may need new vehicles. They may need new you know, weapons or, or just computers or, or whatever. They need new equipment, and then you take away more money. It's like, you know, and then, and then that's why some of them, uh, I believe it was like, I believe it was Portland, Oregon, during uh, some of the riots, officers weren't answering the calls. They just said, screw it. I'm like, I'm not doing it. Um, people were yep, outraged, Atlanta, and it's like, what do you want? Atlanta did it too. Atlanta, yeah, Atlanta too. yeah. And it's like, they what just do you what they just—they just left. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> what do you want us to do? And it, it's again, I—I I don't look. It, it's you're. That's why you guys are just put in such a terrible position because there's nearly nothing. There's no winning answer. You just got to try to do your job the best way you feel you can do it. um And of course, well, the truth you
1: know, is. That the truth is that police officers and people of color are pawns in a very thick chess game of politics.
0: Absolutely. That's that, that's what it boils.
1: That's what it boils down to, uh, especially when it comes to the media. When it comes to politicians, here's the media. Uh, not all media. I won't say all media, but but some years ago, the you wanted something sexy for the six o'clock news. You show a black criminal breaking into a house. That's all they show was black people killing each other in communities. So, which gave the perception to the world that all blacks were a bunch of criminals, which is absolutely false. Right. And then when the anti-police sentiment started showing up post, uh, I'd say, Mike Brown, Trayvon Martin, then the news was like, oh, wow, wait a minute. People hate them. People don't like the police now? Well, we got to work on that. We got to build on that. So then they started making it about the police were evil and they're the bad guys and they're the problem. So now what we have is the media having a field day when they can pit people of color against police officers. Now they're having a ratings boom. And, and now politicians are in on the act. Like, when the, with the politicians, they make me sick. Like, I'm sick to my stomach, my politicians, right now, how they, they 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 gaslight us all, and they throw cops under the bus, and they make false promises to people of color, you know, it, it, and then pit us against each other. But mm-hmm. so we're basically pausing a very, very divisive game. Uh, you know, they say what they what they think people want to hear to get them in office, and then completely turn on them, you know? And, and what's dangerous now is not only have they turned on people of color but they've also turned on the police too so now we're both kind of left out there in limbo and uh, and, and nobody knows what to do to fix it right now it's really a i've never seen it like this uh, in my life uh, where you know police officers have just not all, all but many have kind of just given up yeah. and i understand it you know 25 years of policing i never gave up but for the first time in my career, I feel like it's almost hopeless until we can get some political leaders in office to stop playing games and get real and hold criminals accountable. And of course, hold the negative exception of a police officer accountable. And let's be real. Most police officers aren't doing most of the killings across the country, not even by a long shot.
0: No. And and then, yeah. And then that's when you have to look back at the younger you and how you thought. And it's like, there's, there's, you see kids like young kids all the time, just running up to police and saying, fuck the police. And it's like, I I was, again, I I know I'm white, but it doesn't matter. I was told as a kid, like, you know, have respect not only for your elders, um, but have respect for them and to go up to them and just say, go fuck yourself and, and, you know, you're a terrible person. It's like, you don't even know what, he he might have just saved your mother's life. Like, you don't know anything about this person other than he has a badge. Um, And that to me,
1: and that to me, uh, for me as a cop, that whole thing about black people are afraid of the police is a bunch of crap. It's really a bunch of crap. When you have people who literally walk up to you and call you everything about a child of God, you're not afraid of the police. You're just, you just think it's a fun thing to do. And you're hiding behind my uniform to call me everything, but a child, literally my uniform is protecting you from what you should be getting for calling me everything, but a child of God. And that's, that's just the way it is. I have to protect your right to be a jerk. But right. my whole thing is if you're if you're afraid, uh let's say you have a fear of in a fear of grizzly bears and you believe grizzly bears are programmed to maul people, why would you poke the bear if you're afraid if, if you're not afraid of the bear? Absolutely. If you're afraid of the bear. Yeah. Don't poke the bear.
0: It's kinda like you with, know, so now we It's kinda like with women where you see women will get brave and start slapping bigger guys and talking shit to them and it's like because they know they won't hit them and if they do, they're going to jail. They just want to provoke you, but it's like, you know, like you could provoke a cop, but it's like i mean you know you but you're afraid of this outcome of oh they're gonna shoot you but it's like you know you can't poke them stop poking them because now you're giving them a reason to do something but most likely they're not going to um but it's like yeah you're hiding behind that yeah because they have to that's the
1: most that's the most cowardly thing that's the most cowardly thing i've seen in, in in years i have more respect than for the felons That I had to take down than I have for these individuals, especially these young kids, especially these little college students of all races, white, black, Hispanic coming up to me saying the most vile things. You don't know me. You don't know my story. You don't know who I've helped or what I've done. You don't know what I stand for, but yet you assume based on my uniform that, you know, you know, I somehow condone police brutality and racism and all this (laughs) other crap. And you stick your little chest out, your little bird chest out. And you run up and say crazy things to me. And I just laugh on the inside because if I wasn't a cop and you saw me on the street, you would never say anything like that. I'm a 265-pound problem and and I can fight. (laughs) But, you know, I can't fight in uniform. I have to sit there and take it and it's unfortunate. So that's why my hope is one day at least somebody above our heads will start standing up for us uh, again. We can't stand for ourselves in 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 that respect. But I hope sooner or later when the tide turns that people will start standing up for us again.
0: Right. Someone once said years ago, like anybody who tries to bring us together, mainly white and black people, you know, like Martin Luther King, even like Nipsey Hussle, because he was he was trying to bring gang members together and he was trying to bring uh cops and, and gang members together. They get assassinated. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- there's definitely something to that, because the reality is they don't want white and black people together. They just don't because no, but, and, and we are in some ways. It's just there's so much bullshit. There's so much smoke screen in the middle.
1: Yeah. Somebody wants us at each other's throat. Now, now, we can't really know who exactly that is, but for whatever, it could be for political purposes, especially uh, America gets more racist during election year.
0: <laughs> right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah,
1: every four yeah. years, every four years, America becomes the most racist if, if you're from the Democratic Party. You know, that's the one that they throw, and I'm not a Democrat or Republican. I'm not bashing one or the other. I'm just being right. honest. I. Uh, you know, I- I'm kind of an independent. I'm in the center. But mm-hmm. I notice just from a place of objectivity, that every election year, whether it's Trump, uh, what's his name from Mitt Romney, or what's his name uh, that ran before Romney, uh, McCain, the McCain, the first thing they go to is, oh, don't vote for them because they're going to have you back on the plantation. They uh-huh. some, they find some way to bring race into it, you know, and that just has to stop. It just has to stop. Right. You know, and, and that's just where we are as a society, and that's unfortunate.
0: Right. Well, that, but that the, the irony of that is a lot of times black people do better under Republicans, like financially anyway, like with, you know, cuz like a lot of black people did really yeah. well under Trump. It's just Trump Yeah, and I'm not I'm
1: of, not a Trump supporter. I'm not even a Trump supporter, and I even have to admit that a lot of black friends of mine were starting businesses, getting business loans. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's just it was it was an environment conducive to business where black people could move a little further. And now that's gone. And I'm not even a Trump guy. Trump, right. I'm not a fan of Trump. I, I didn't like his character. He's not the kind of guy that I'd go have lunch with, you know, or even personally vote for just because character means so much to me. Right. But I'm not afraid to admit that his business policy, his, his outlook on business and the economy was helping uh, people of color. I believe it was. And, and no one can deny that. If you do, you're just have cognitive dissonance. It just was. But compared to what we're seeing now, it's just, it's just, there's, it's terrible right now. It's really horrible.
0: Yeah, that's 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 why I kind of, you know, kind of created this little thing because I'm you know, having a vision problem. I've said like, the people who see the most see the least, and the people who see the least see the most. It's people who have perfect vision. A lot of times, there's so much. It's right in front of them. They just can't see it. Whereas me, I can barely. Oh, yeah. see, I can't see that much. But I see. You know, mm-hmm. I have empathy. I see things that are so obvious. I don't. I'm not married to a, a you know a, a particular group. Or, or uh, you know, a company or whatever. Like, I, I look at it for what it is, and then I assess the situation. I go, okay, this is logical. I'm not just going to go by it Absolutely. just because this thing just benefits me one way or one less thing. Because um, people are like, well, you know, yeah. like, who should you vote for, Trump or Biden? It's like, I'm not voting for either. I mean, again, and that's just my take. Parte- I'm not telling people not to do one thing or another. But don't tell yeah, me because like one me. person's better mm-hmm. than the other because he's a little less evil. Like, that's ridiculous.
1: Yeah, you're, you're like me. I couldn't vote for either either. But I have to be honest. You know, I'm sorry. You know, it, it's just what we're dealing with now with this current president. You know, it's just abject failure, even in his first 100 days. You know, all the promises he broke, you know, that angers me because I, I was a Democrat for all my life up until about maybe four or five years ago. Uh, you know, and I was a loyal. I mean, blue through and through. You couldn't tell me nothing bad about the Democratic Party. When I saw this party shift, it went from the JFK Democrats to I don't recognize these people anymore. I don't. You know, with, for me, the Democrats use and exploit our people. And I always felt that Republicans just never really cared, period. You know, right. that, was, that was my and I still feel that way to this day. And that has to change. I just don't understand why we can't find some independent, middle of the road, objective uh, type of leaders anymore. But you either have to be extreme right or extreme left. And it's killing our country. It right. really
0: is. Oh, and 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 I mean, you know, with the politics, they use race with that. I mean, like you know, it was just. I mean, the Black Lives Matter movement basically said to Biden afterwards, like, "Hey, you owe us now, because we helped you get that win." And and I don't know if you've seen. There's a clip that came out with uh, the legendary judge, uh, Judge Joe Brown, and he's talking about how Biden. You know, he used to work with him and be around him a lot, and that Biden used to say things like, "You know, black kids were cockroaches," um, and it's like. You know, and, and there's been a lot of that. I mean, he's, he's talked about getting rid of Social Security and all these things back in his past. And it's like now, it's like, well, he's better than Trump because of this. And it's like, look, I don't think Trump is a good person at all. And But at least we kind of know his skeletons, even though they're terrible, a lot of them. But it's like, we're yeah. just kind of covering up a lot of Biden's stuff. And it's like he does, there's a lot of sexual assault stuff in there. There's a lot of stuff that's very iffy. And we just say, ah, well, he's not Trump. It's like, yeah, but... What is he? Like, just because he's not, no one's Trump. Trump is a wacko. Like, Trump is a whole different type of person. Biden is not like, I honestly, like, I'd rather someone be honest and hate me, you know, like whether he doesn't like black people or does or whatever, however you want to go with it. I'd rather him, you know, and I'd rather benefit underneath him and I'd rather him say he doesn't like me than from a person who pretends to like me and I don't benefit at all underneath him. Um, But again, that's,
1: that's what. Yeah, you're right and that's just where we are today uh we're back to the business as usual politics that i see i knew i understood why donald trump got elected you know people were frustrated with both parties see, even republicans don't like donald didn't like donald Trump.
2: right Absolutely. you know
1: that's just they, they they hate him you know because he's not a part of the political game right he just wasn't donald trump was the grenade like him or hate him that america threw at the at, at at our politics because they were sick and tired of both Democrats and Republicans, you know, lying to us and making promises and breaking them, you know. And I and my personal feelings on Trump is he hurt his own legacy with his buffoonery. Absolutely, you know yeah. he 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 hurt he hurt he himself. Yeah, you know with his foolishness, his combativeness, his childishness, and all this and his bombasticism, you know, and just his narcissistic behavior. Yeah. he hurt his own legacy. Uh, if it wasn't for that, you know, they would probably be talking about him like they talked about Reagan.
2: Right you know, uh, yeah. you know,
1: but he heard he heard his own legacy and you know and 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 it's unfortunate, and now we're stuck with the same old politics as before.
2: Yep.
1: smile in your face, tell you one thing, do another, make all kind of campaign promises, and then completely do a one eighty you know I, I I just hate it, I'm tired of it. I just wish there was an independent candidate out there that that could could bring us all together and do it, but that's never gonna happen. this is America
0: right <laughs> um well, so that's and so we can you know, I don't want to keep you forever. Um, mm-hmm. what, uh, so what made you get into, you know, working with the homeless?
1: Well, uh, with everything in my life, I never wanted to do it. Uh, like when I first got to Skid Row, I was like, God, get me out of here. This is crazy. I can't fix this. Is that considered you know, like the death I, sentence I, I, for
0: an officer? Like, oh, we're sending you to Skid Row? No,
1: no, no. no. I was on probation. And uh, when I worked Venice Beach, I was on probation. So after probation, they wheel you out where they need you. And I picked Central as one of my choices, but I didn't know about Skid Row. I just liked it because they have what's called the compressed work schedule. You work three days, or off the so you can rest. Right. So I ended up getting Central, but I didn't know much about Skid Row. And my training officer, when I told him about one of my choices, he said, you picked what? Oh, my God, you got to wear a body count on work there. The homeless are out there. They're dirty they're nasty. They have needles in their pocket. They're going to get stuck by a needle and catch HIV. Uh, the, you know, the cops are fat and lazy. People having sex on the sidewalk, smoking dope right in the steps of the station. Oh my God, the stinks and there's no place to eat. And I was like, oh my God, I'm a dermatophobe and I like to eat. Please don't send me to this godforsaken place called Skid Row.
2: <laughs> well, so, okay. <laughs>
1: when, I, when, I, when the, when the uh, order came out, I was assigned to Central and I was like, man, what did I do, God? So <laughs> I ended up going and I remember the first day driving there, it was like I was looking at the beautiful, picturesque skyline of uh, downtown Los Angeles, which is basically the West Coast. Symbol of America's economic mind power. And I said, this can't be that bad. That central division, look at all that money. So I get off on 6th Street and I'm driving, I'm right at the base of the skyline, and I'm seeing people with business suits and briefcases. And I'm like, wow, this is not bad. I mean, come on, what is, my, what is my training officer talking about? But you know how you get to some places and it kind of, you know, there's about a mile and a half stretch of land that warns you first before you end up in the bad part?
2: Right, right, there was right. There is no right.
1: warning here. I crossed Spring Street and it was like I tripped and fell into Mad Max, Thunderdome, Waterworld. You know, name a natural disaster movie and I was in it. And everything my training officer said was true. There were people having sex on the sidewalk, trash piled to your knees, tents on fire, mentally ill people walking in and out of traffic uh, with wristbands on they, like someone just dumped them out of a hospital. And, and but the one thing that he was wrong about was the cops weren't fat and lazy. They just weren't supported by the system that told them to go out and combat that. Because Skid Row at that time in the early 90s, late mid 90s was, the, that was LA's dirty little secret. That's the, what the containment zone where they just everybody set all their problems so they didn't have to deal with it because they had services there.
2: Right.
1: So after seeing that, I, I wanted to go. But then uh, I thought I was, was going to catch a break because my first two months there were spent at the front desk. But the front desk, there was no breaks because it was in the heart of Skid Row. And every 15, 20 minutes, someone would come into the station bleeding. Uh, Cheeks slash where you could see their teeth, arms broken backwards where they could swing it 45 degrees the other way. Another guy came in with his intestines hanging out. And the common thread with all of these victims, clearly a victims of crime, is they all said the same thing. I don't want a police report. I got to live here. Just get me the hell out of here to a hospital. And that's what we did. It was unfortunate. Then after about two months, I was actually assigned to Chinatown. And I was like, thank you, God. Chinatown's great. There's culture. are nice old people in the park stretching and doing Tai Chi, great eating spots. I don't have to deal with this crap in Skid Row. And I was wrong because I spent more time with radio calls in Skid Row because it was so ultraviolet than I did in my own beat, Chinatown. And there I saw homeless people getting raped, assaulted, stabbed. And it was like nobody cared. I remember... Uh, I remember uh, taking a report from a guy who had been stabbed in his stomach, slashed on his stomach, and he's sitting on the curb. And I was like, dude, who did that to you? And he goes, he points to a guy walking down the street. And this guy is just calmly walking down the street to the next block. And I'm like, what? So I go down and I arrest him. And I say, dude, you're going to prison. I'm sending you back to prison. And he goes, no, you're not. This is Skid Row. The DA is going to look at this case, and he's going to reject it. I was like, there's no way. So I went to the station, and I wrote the greatest police report I ever wrote, and I'm from the Long Beach Unified School District. I wasn't the greatest English major, right?
2: right.
1: I, I struggled with dangling participles and antecedents all my, all my entire life, still to still to this day. That's but true. I wrote the greatest, most detailed police report ever for a victim of a, ho- a homeless victim who was a victim of a crime. And two days later, I saw the guy walking down the street, and he goes, "I told you." In anger, I went to the detective and said, "What the hell happened? I, I, I wrote the hell out of this report. It was an honest report." The truth was in it. What happened? She said the DA rejected the case because the victim was homeless and had a drug history. Right. And that infuriated me. What mm-hmm. it told me was that above our heads, these people didn't matter. Right. And I don't believe because somebody's a drug addict or because they're homeless that they're any less of a victim, uh, like as if they were somebody in Beverly Hills. They're, they're no less of a victim than someone in Beverly Hills. So, anyway, More incidents like that were happening, and I was inspired to stay and fight for those people, just based on my family upbringing. My mom and dad dealt with the homeless foster children, people who had been thrown away, standing up for the poor. And after about two or three months, I was at home and I never left Skid Row, and I kind of became like a champion for them. At first I wasn't well liked, because my police style was, okay, I'm here, I'm seeing all this injustice, I'm seeing people preying on the homeless, I'm gonna arrest everybody and their mother until crime stops. And mm-hmm. that didn't work. I was arresting drug dealers, murderers, rapists, and they were just getting out. But about year, seven years later, I became a senior lead officer and I learned from those experiences. And I decided, you know what? I'm gonna stop and I'm just gonna be there for these people. And I would walk foot beats and take over blocks and I wouldn't leave. And I found that to be more effective than actually arresting people. And then when I did get an arrest, there, it was a better quality arrest, I did damage because now the community gained gained my trust, and they were provided with with information on the real problem children in the area. And I was able to get injunctions and get people barred from the area and send a lot of people to prison and guide uh, detectives and narcotics uh, detectives into uh, engaging in a a task force that really did some damage out there. Uh, And that's how I was able to do it. And and that came from just wanting to be there for a marginalized class of individuals who no one else cared about but us the police right so, yeah. that's why I've been there ever since and I and I don't plan on leaving anytime soon unless they drove me out of
0: yeah I always tell people like how people like what really caught my eye with uh um with how homeless people are treated there's a there's a place in Philadelphia an area called Camden or Camden uh Kensington Ave and it's a place where basically people are shooting up needles. There's homelessness. There's homeless people there. People are just kind of getting away with whatever. And there's a guy just going around killing prostitutes and, and homeless women. And um, he did it for two weeks. Just killed. It was It was like, I believe it was around 12 or 13 people. They couldn't catch him somehow. Um, and, and all of a sudden, the next day, he killed some woman that was random. that shouldn't have been there. She was, she just turned the wrong way and, and they found him the next day, like within 24 hours. And it, it just showed me it's like, okay, they couldn't catch this guy in, for two weeks, but all of a sudden now this random girl just kind of ends up falling into this area and they caught him instantly. It's like they didn't care. They never wanted to catch him. They didn't give a shit. In a way, they, maybe they felt like he was cleaning up the area. I don't know. Um, but it's yeah. like, Wow, it's amazing like how, you know, cause it's the only community that you can say uh, that when your community is getting bigger is a, is a bad thing. Um, yeah. And it's really sad yeah. because, you know, when I, when I interviewed the one woman I had on here, Jewel, she, you know, she told me about even though know, she's, she was totally blind and she said, even the disabled people are treated worse than the homeless community. Like they are the low. and It's like, because they, they have a harder time getting into hospitals and uh, they're considered liabilities and, and so on. And it's like, man, like, and there's even a hierarchy in that community. And, um, you know, yeah, and it's just, they're so poorly treated. And, and, you know, everyone, people just immediately assume, like, the preconceived notions of them is like, oh, well, you know, they must have a, a substance problem. That's why they got there. But it's that's not yeah. always the case. Yeah, yeah. It's not always yeah, the case. Yeah, and that's
1: what I try to tell people. It used to frustrate me when I was trying to help this guy named, um, I call him Will. And Will would, would stay drunk Oh, he would drink more alcohol than water. This this guy just never, but he was also a veteran suffering from uh, PTSD and a whole host of other things. And like, he's in a wheelchair, but everybody I tried to get to help him was like, oh, he's just a drunk. (laughs) No, (laughs) it's a whole lot, it's a whole lot deeper than he's just a drunk, you know, and that's what would frustrate me, forcing a lot of people who struggle with disabilities and uh, who have disabilities in, in Skid Row you know you're right they just see him as oh you're 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 paraplegic because you smoke meth you know like what how did you make that correlation
2: Yeah, (laughs) yeah.
1: and it it it, it frustrates me so badly that some of these people are on the streets we have hospitals who dump these patients into the street who still need medical attention patient dumping is a real ugly practice that hospitals engage in and the police department us we were the ones who exposed it it wasn't some activist group the activist groups looked the other way when it happened because the more now, driving people in the area, the more they can prostitute the image of homelessness for money that these individuals never see. Yeah. But we were the ones who exposed uh, this ugly practice, and and it, but it still goes on to this day. People who are in need of hospice care, therapy, they're just left out there, and the only people that can take them, but aren't equipped to handle them most of the time, are the shelters, who are great programs, but for the most part, they're not equipped to deal with a lot of the medical issues that some of these people, uh, some people face. That are facing right now so uh, it frustrates me that's why i always talk about decentralization you know i don't want to see one program in skid row closing, about 108 programs we need them all i just don't want to see another one open up in skid row we need we have 88 cities in la county we need to open up centers that are specifically designed for the handicapped, so they don't come to places like skid row and get trampled over and taken advantage of by the criminal element or ignored or lost in the shuffle being mixed in with everybody else we need housing units or shelters for the elderly and make sure we have people there with special skills to deal with them, uh, you know, spread out throughout the county to take some of the pressure off Skid Row. And like I said, these are the for families. We need shelters and housing outside of Skid Row for families, but nobody wants to do that because they only see their stereotypical idea of Skid Row as everybody's just an addict and everybody in Skid Row is not an addict. Most people are sadly, but there's a lot of people who aren't right. and really need help. But a lot really of people
0: a lot of people don't what people don't realize is like you're not that far away from becoming them. Forget the drug oh, problem absolutely. just but mean even if you do have drugs and alcohol in your system and all whatever, mm-hmm. everybody has their own fun, and not everyone's that bad. but everybody has their demons, they have their problems. again, you just said somebody came back from the war. like there's a lot of them that are messed up, obviously, um, but you're yeah. not like I, and I've said this multiple times but people don't like the realization that people are afraid of, like you know me being disabled, like people are afraid. You know, like, like, all oh, couldn't happen to me. It's like, dude, like, you understand? You could just fall and paralyze yourself, you and get a car accident or anything. You're, 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 you're disabled. Like, you're not that far away. Yeah, yeah. And the same thing with the homeless community. Like, you, you don't pay your bills or pay your taxes or whatever. Like, you know, you, you get into some problems or whatever, a divorce, and you don't have any income coming in. Like, it can happen very quickly. Um, and again, well, it's absolutely. a, it's a community that doesn't care, and it's like if you don't care, if you don't look out for those people. You know, if you don't, I mean, if you believe in karma, it should be one of the things you should try to, like, take care of because they need the help. Um, and it's like...
1: Absolutely. You've yeah. you got, you got to understand that there's four kinds of people in Skid Row like anywhere else in the United States of America. And, you know, the first group is good people. Most people in Skid Row who are who are experiencing homelessness and they like the term unhoused. I'm so tired of these politically correct buzzwords. They're just ridiculous. So right, right. I'm just yeah. going to call them people right. People. Uh, people experiencing homelessness. Right. Uh, most of these people are good people just who are just disenfranchised trying to get on their feet. Then you have the second group who are good people who do bad things. These are your drug addicts who, when they're sober and they have an environment conducive to change, we find out they were former lawyers, former athletes, former writers, former producers, and they just made a horrible decision that led them to the street, causing them to burn their bridges, and now they are. But... Of course, when they're binging on crack cocaine and they're also because they're disenfranchised, the same person you might see in the video shaking my hand and hugging me and kissing me on the cheek will go around the corner and bust somebody's head open to the white meat to get what they need to support their habit. That's just the reality of it. You can't separate addiction from crime and skin, violent crime and skid rope. Right. They go into one and the same. Then you have a third group, ex-convicts. These are people who've made mistakes, but they can change if you give them a proper environment and proper resources. Right, and then you have the career criminals. Now, here's what's different between uh, those four groups in Skid Row, just as opposed to anywhere else in the United States of America, is that the good people in Skid Row have to look the other way to keep from being victim of crime. That's just the reality of it. Mm-hmm. The good people who do bad things, your drug addicts, they stay on the bad side longer because the temptation to fail is just too great. How do you get clean when the drug dealer is not only outside of your drug program, allowed to be outside of your drug program? but also gets into your drug program or low income supportive housing unit. How do you get clean when that happens for the career criminal who can change if he has the right environment, when things are off the chain, he's looking, he only has $221 a month to survive on, on GR general relief, but he's looking out his window at the wine cart and he's seeing uh, drug dealers pass thousands and thousands of dollars a day. What choice does he have? If I can't beat him, I might as well join him. And the last group, the career criminals, they pull all the strings, running credit activist groups when we put too much pressure on them to stop us from trying to stop this lawlessness by any legal means necessary. And it works because we can't beat the narrative. They can dress down as homeless and say that they are homeless victims and the police are just there to systematically oppress them. And everybody's buying into it. So that's the reality of Skid Row. And until we get real and see it for what it is, it's not going to change anytime soon. I don't care how much money you throw at it. You can throw billions of dollars at it. If you don't know the real reason why two thirds of those people are in the streets and that's addiction, if you don't accept that and acknowledge that and acknowledge that they need a push, you know, whether it's uh, enforcement and mandatory treatment, if you don't realize that, you're not trying to solve it. If we don't change the rules or or the laws regarding mental illness, which currently if someone is in crisis and they meet our criteria, or even worse, they suffer from dual diagnosis where they're mentally ill and addicted to drugs, guess what? The only thing we have for them now is a 72-hour hold. And that's not even 72 hours anymore. They just take them to the hospital, let them sit there for uh, six hours, sprinkle some pills on them, and ask them if they're okay. And of course, when they get asked that question, they clean up and they say, of course I'm fine. And they go outside the door and guess what? They find more drugs and and the cycle continues. So until you change those laws and make it 72 hours, instead of 72 hours, make it six weeks, because that's the time it takes for them to actually benefit from the therapeutic attributes of their medication. Until you change that, and until you get... You know, housing for them, uh, those people, uh, and get, not, not housing, conservatorship, and, and we streamline the conservatorship process. Until we do that, this will not change. And we'll be talking about this 20 years from now.
0: Yeah. Um, did you see any change from, with COVID? Like the. As far as the difference in yeah. the amount of just growing and. and uh, yes.
1: Yeah. Yes. Once, once they heard that there was a stay in place order that you can pretty much come to Skid Row and camp out and no one could touch you, no one could tell you anything. And this has been going on prior to that. Uh, basically, you know, the whole world started coming. We started getting people from Colorado, Chicago, Cincinnati, all these other places, other parts of the state. And they would try to get comfortable in Skid Row, but they couldn't because the gangsters wouldn't let them. If they don't recognize you, they're going to tax you, abuse you to the extent that you get tired of it and you go end up being homeless somewhere else because Skid Row is too dangerous to be homeless. So that's why we're seeing homelessness explode. We're not pushing them out. The police department department's not pushing them out, but now it's exploding in Venice. It's expl- exploding in the north part of the division. It's exploding all over the place. So now there's not just one Skid Row anymore. It's everywhere. It's in Orange County because poor mismanagement, horrible policy, and, and a lack of willingness to see the reality and, and stop, we need to stop politicizing policing and homelessness and just see it for what it is and attack it from a truth-based foundation. And once again, until we do that, uh, this thing is going to uh, exacerbate even more so.
0: Right, gotcha. Uh, just finishing up here. Uh, so, like, uh, of all the things you've accomplished and, you know, uh, you know, everything you've learned off this, like, what, what do you think is, like, the, the biggest lesson that you've learned of the, your journeys of being an officer?
1: Hmm. Hmm, biggest lesson I learned is uh, the best thing you can do as a police officer. It's, it's it's noble to go out and fight, crush crime, and fight crime, and load the backseat of your car with as many bad, evil people as possible. I think that's noble when the system is working for you. But when you have a system that's working against you right now, the best thing to do is to be as visible as possible to deter a lot of the crime. And that's just a band-aid approach, but that's all we got right now. Uh, that's what I've learned. And even when in, when I was most successful, there was a period where we made Skid Row relatively relatively clean and safe. That's what I did. I stayed on the most dangerous blocks until the drug dealers left. So your visibility and your, 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 your bridge building is going to be so much more important than just arresting everybody and their mother uh, when you have a system that doesn't support that. So that's what I've learned uh, in our current circumstance.
0: Awesome. Well, I thank you again for doing this. Um, oh no problem yeah i mean i you know like you know people say you know there's always these silly monikers or whatever like oh you're doing god's work and all that and i'm not even that religious but you know you, what you do is amazing and uh you you actually are making a real difference even if it's not on the biggest scale in the world or it's not publicized or whatever uh what you do is great and it, it's um, you know absolutely needed um you know again you are a real role model out here and you know, just keep doing what you're doing and, uh, you know, keep being a voice for not only, you know, the color of your skin, but just men, just for people, for just humankind in general. Just keep being you. And, uh, you know, like I said, thank you again for doing this.
1: I will, man. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure talking to you, brother.
0: Yeah, brother. Yeah, keep in touch. And, uh, you know, like I said, I hope the best for you. You too. Take care. All right, man. Bye. Um. Yeah, guys, that baby was. Ah, J. Cole, get out of here! Devil. I'm gonna get sued. I <laughs> was uh, listening to music, um, but um, yeah, guys, that was that was cool. That was different. Um, I didn't honestly, I really didn't know where it was gonna go. And then I say that all the time, like I, gee, you never know where anything's going. Uh, yeah, I'm visually impaired. at bumping stuff. Ha ha. Um. No, I, I didn't know where it was going to go because I, I was talking to like his publicist and stuff and it was through email, so I, I didn't know what it was going to be. I, I saw him on LinkedIn and I was like, wow, this guy would be cool as hell to have on. Um, but I didn't really know where it was going to go because she was kind of giving me some things not to talk about. Like, oh, you know, he's not going to talk about... I, I don't remember what it was now. But anyway, it, it was, it's not important. It, it, it was great. Um, and again, I was kind of thrown off by the publicist thing because I was like, oh man, like, I don't know, like who's this guy? think he is, (laughs) you know, like, like, I don't know. And and it was complete opposite, you know, as like he said, you know, when he went into the police force, like he, he didn't want to do it. And then he learned so much from it. It was like, wow. Like, yeah, this was like, this is a, you know, a given, like, this was amazing. I'm so happy this happened. Um, again, guys, thank you for all your support. I appreciate it. Um, I'm just constantly trying to bring this kind of content, just great people you know raw interviews um and just you know hopefully you learn something uh and yeah hopefully you have open mind and open ears uh don't just listen to one or two things and go oh no he said that about trump shut up just listen just because someone doesn't agree with you does not mean um it's it's a bad take And if if it is, it is. But that doesn't mean they're a bad person either. Every bad person has good qualities and every good person has bad qualities. And if you don't think that, then you're an idiot. Um, Anyway, let's just piss off the rest of the people. Uh, All right, guys. Seriously, thank you again. Um, Thanks to Dion. Um, Yeah, fantastic guest. And I thoroughly enjoyed this. So I will see you guys on the next one. Bye, guys.